As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, welcome back to another installment of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. That's Carlos Ledo of the MIA All Day Podcast. It's the day after, the morning after, Miami season opening win over Miami of Ohio. They beat the Red Hawks 38-3 last night in what I would consider the best performance at home, probably since they crushed FSU and Mike Norvell, his first team during the COVID season in 2020. Of course, they beat FSU that night by 42 points. I just sat here, Carlos, and went up and down the list of all of Miami's wins since the start of the 2020 season against FBS teams, not not the Bethune-Cookmans of the world. And without question, uh, that win last night, I think, was the most dominant since the FSU home win. Yeah, I agree. And you know what? The morning after, at least we're not doing a little walk of shame today. You know, like we have uh, over the last past five home games before this one. Um, it was dominant and it was there was a lot of things that I wanted to see that I saw. But there was also a lot of things that I was afraid might creep up that crept up. And at the end of the day, it, it's, you know, there you go. First shot of the day here on, on the podcast early in the morning. Um, <clears throat> I think this team has improved. I think it looks better. I think there's definitely more talent on this roster from what I saw last night. Um, I just think they still have a ways to go. I think this is still an eight and four, nine and three team from what I saw last night, but it's, I'm so happy to see a dominant victory. Finally see a game for the first time in a long time that wasn't in doubt from start to finish and that the hurricanes came out and set the tone right from the outset and started really putting pressure on Miami Ohio from the beginning, because I mean, we've seen blow up victories, you know, uh, over the last few years, you know, prior to Mario getting here. But even in those games, you know, they kind of start sluggish. They, they you know, get a, have a three and out in the first series, don't score right away. It takes them a little bit to get warmed up and get going. But, you know, last night they got it rolling right off the bat. Yeah, right down the field on the opening kickoff, uh, touchdown catch. Kobe Young basically follows the tunnel uh, into the end zone and, and really showed some really nice speed uh, to make it 7 nothing. Uh, then it was a bunch of field goals to make it 16-3 at the half. And then really in the second half is when, when they put the – 
you know, the pedal to the metal, so to speak, and, and put uh, a Miami of Ohio team away that, you know, they're not a bad team. They're a contender, certainly in the Mac. They were six and seven last year. They got nine starters back on defense. Um, you know, this is a team that's older, experienced, is supposed to contend for their conference championship. And I and I said it before in the last podcast with you here. This is one of the tougher non-conference opponents for Miami. Uh, I think Temple will be an easier game. I think Bethune-Cookman will certainly be an easier game. So um, the fact that Miami came out and took care of business was super encouraging. I want to get into my five takeaways. And I wrote this piece for The Athletic this morning. You and I can go back and forth. Uh, but my number one takeaway, Carlos, um, certainly was the defense, um, because I think you think back to last season, the end of the year against Pittsburgh, against Clemson, um, against a lot of the teams that they struggled against. Uh, it, they look lost at times on defense. Right. And and guys were out of position. And, uh, you know, there were big runs that they allowed. There were big pass plays. They, they were the worst team in the ACC in terms of pass plays allowed of 40 yards or more, giving up 15 last season. Last night, they gave up one big pass play, and it was at the end with two freshmen, Damari Brown, on the field. It was a 37-yard gain, Carlos, but really it was a spectacular catch by yeah. the kid by the kid from uh, Miami of Ohio. So um, outside of that, uh, a 30-yard pass play in the first half that Corey Couch got beat in on the inside, um, there were not a lot of MEs. And, and to me, that is – the takeaway, the number one takeaway for me is that this defense obviously is the right fit for this personnel. Those kids were playing, as as Cam Kitchen said afterward, playing fast. Yeah, and and you could see the athleticism, the upgrade of athleticism on the defensive side of the ball. And you're right. I think, to me, the only blown coverage in the game was where that tight end ran the wheel route down the short side on the right side of the, of the field and caught a deep pass in the first half. Um, I, I, you know, if it was to Corey Couch that blew the coverage, I guess that's, that's who it was, but you know, he was just wide open. That's the only time I saw somebody running free wide open with no one anywhere uh, around him, which was pretty much the case on almost every defensive snap last year. Um, I think defensively to me, the linebackers were, were impressive. It was different than what we've seen here for a while, because it wasn't just Mamo going and the same, you know, KJ Cloyd looked really good. He was making plays. He, he was getting in there. Um, he was looked athletic. He looked like he was getting to a ball quickly. They were diagnosing plays. They were making contact, physical contact, and bringing guys down. The tackling last night was very good compared to what we've seen over the last few years, which is something that, you know, after the excitement of the offense and the excitement of the defense holding these guys to three points and, and almost no yardage, the fact that they were actually tackling people and making plays on first contact to me is is kind of understated but was huge. Mm -hmm. um, I think the defensive line did a great job getting pressure. You know, Jafari Harvey had a, had a really good game last night, I think. Um, you saw Akeem Mesidor flash here and there. He made a great play to me in the first half where they ran an outside zone to the right side of the field, and he just basically went straight down the line of scrimmage, chased the running back down from behind, and brought him down for a one-yard gain or a no gain at all. Yeah, um, These guys, they look really good up front. I like that. And and like we talked about, you saw Gidry use different alignments up front with the defensive line and use a lot of stunts. And the first sack came off of a stunt action. And they're just using their athleticism, their speed, but they're also strong. So these guys, at least they looked strong last night up front. They aren't a weak defensive line. On the back end, I think the corners look better than they had in a long time. Like you said, they were in position most of the time. Aside from that one blown assignment, I think Corey Couch had a pretty good game. He was even being physical coming up and making tackles in the run game, which we've yeah. never seen him do before. Um, I think they gave, you know, we expected to see James Williams more in the box making plays. 
But ironically, he was more playing center field a lot, uh, playing the deep safety and having Cam Kitchens playing in the box. Yep. And he did a pretty good job of it. Uh, so it's, it's interesting to see Gidry move these guys around and use these different pieces different ways. And you also saw guys like Nigel Lee Kelly dropping into coverage yep. uh, in the flat. You saw defensive ends uh, being used in different ways. So I, I like the fact that he was a little bit more vanilla than you would, you know, obviously game one he wanted to be. Uh, he didn't have to go too complex, but he still showed a few wrinkles that we haven't seen here in a while uh, with all those things I said, along with bringing all that pressure. Yeah, well, a couple more things I would add here, and I, I want to make sure I get to all of my points because I don't want to miss something on defense because they were really, really impressive. Um, Jaden Davis, um, I thought, yeah. was on the field second most snaps in the game. Him and James Williams. James Williams played 42 snaps. Jaden Davis was 40 snaps, and he looks like a true number one corner. At least he did last night. Uh, he didn't give up any pass plays that I remember. Uh, and if he did, it was like short, you know, quick, you know, and, and wrapping the guy up very, very quickly. And I think we had a big question mark about cornerback coming in, right? Like, who's the guy? Well, Jaden Davis started to Corey Couch started uh, in the slot. And I'm trying to remember who the third starter is off the top of my head. Um, looking at the stats here. Um, it wasn't Caleb Spencer. Who was the third cornerback? Daryl Porter. Daryl Porter started at cornerback. Um, those were your three starters, and that was an important position. I, I studied the substitution patterns this is what I learned covering the NBA, uh, <laughs> Carlos, where like I'm looking to see what the rotations are. And these are just a couple of notes. OK, um, Wesley Besaints uh, and Corey Flagg were the were the backup linebackers. Uh, so Miami went with Cloyd and uh, Maui Goa to start the game. Um, but there was sort of a steady stream of, hey, fresh linebackers in the game for each of the new series. Um, the defensive line as well. Uh, I mentioned Davis playing most of the game. Uh, James Williams playing most of the game. Cam Kitchens was third with 34 snaps on defense. And then Maui Go was fourth, 27. To Corey Couch, fifth, 20, or tied for fourth, 27. And then you had Damari Brown. Uh, it says Caleb Spencer, but that's Cloyd here on the PFF stats. Um he was in a lot. Uh, J Jadis Richard in for 22 snaps. Nigel Lee Kelly in for 21. Devontae Brown for 21. And Mesador for 19. So um, I, I thought all in all, um, just again, being in the right spot, dude. Like that was just so pivotal. I didn't see enough of that last year. And a lot of three and outs. A lot of really good stops. And and Lance Gidry, uh, you know, he, was, he, he had one of the best third down defenses uh, in years last year at Marshall, my, uh, Miami held the Red Hawks to two of 12 on third down, and they got off the field on several fourth downs. I said during our podcast and uh, during my own that I thought this team could get, you know, six to eight sacks. They ended up with four. They, they got a lot of pressure. Um, mm -hmm. You know, credit to Brett Gabbert. He did a really good job getting the ball away and, and instances where he had a lot of pressure bearing down on him. He made a lot of throws off platform, just trying to get rid of the ball and, and try to make a play. He, he honestly played well uh, in the face of what he was facing last night. But I was, like you said, I was really impressed with the rotation, uh, the way guys played. You know, overall, the snap count, like you said, was interesting how balanced it was and how many guys got in there. There wasn't, uh, you know, aside from James Williams and, and, and a couple other guys, you know, a lot of 40-snap guys, right? There wasn't a lot of right. guys that were in there the entire game. So it was interesting that, you know, there wasn't really uh, – uh, a set starting lineup, and then everybody just came in at the end in the third or fourth quarter. It was basically everybody's getting rotations in and out. And I think it's an, it's it's the reason they're doing that is they want to see what they have, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I think Gidry wants to figure out who his guys are 
who plays best in what situations and who he can count on moving forward. You know, it was interesting that Cloyd started over the same, um, even though they both got significant snaps. Uh, I think they both look really good, and I think they both earned the right to play. So I don't think we're going to see just a two-linebacker set rotation moving forward once the season gets underway or they're really in, in conference play. I think it's going to be continuous with that rotation, not just there, but on the defensive line in the secondary, which means eventually, like you said, they're going to be fresh in games. They're going to be able to take over fourth quarters, and that's what you want from your defense, to be dominant late in the game, to shut the other offense off, to, to basically squeeze the life out of them and allow the offense on your end to try and make some plays to win a game or one way. Yeah. Um, PFF's going to update their numbers, and we're doing this Saturday morning. They, they literally watched, I think, the film three times. So you're going to see numbers get updated, grades get updated, et cetera. These are just the initial uh, snap counts, et cetera. And like I said, they misidentified. They put Caleb Spencer in for KG Cloyd on these initial stats. That'll all be fixed here at some point. Um, but all in all, really, really good performance uh, on the defensive side. Let's move over to offense because, to me, there's a lot more interesting storylines there, Carlos, um, in terms of uh, performance. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke uh, threw an interception. I think he finished 17-22 of 22 for 201 yards, had the touchdown uh, pass. But he had a, a, a look – Either it was either a splint or just a taped right index finger, right? We had heard about him uh, banging his finger in practice – uh, on a helmet. He said uh, after the game, I asked him, I said how much it bothered him. He said it didn't bother him at all, really. Um, but I kind of felt like the game plan um, in terms of short, quick, you know, not taking a lot of shots down the field, etc., was sort of a sign of uh, Shannon Dawson acknowledging, hey, we this guy's not 100% really, and we're going to just kind of let the running game dominate and, and win the game at the line of scrimmage. And and maybe this is the way Miami has to win moving forward. But I think against elite teams, the Hurricanes are going to need the Tyler Van Dyke who made that uh, late third quarter throw to Xavier Restrepo that was perfectly pace, uh, placed ball. They're going to need that guy to make those kind of throws to beat good teams. Yeah, I don't think the finger was an issue. If the finger was an issue, which you would have seen on occasion, maybe it was but it wouldn't have affected his arm strength. It wouldn't have affected uh, his velocity on the ball. What it would affect is the rotation on the ball. So it would have fluttered. It would have been not a tight spiral. Mm -hmm. So he threw plenty of tight spirals. He threw plenty of balls that were okay. tight and, and, and online. The throw that he had the interception on, he was trying to put touch over because he saw the guy underneath. Right. And he was trying to throw it over his head. What he didn't see was uh, the other defensive back on the other side coming across to right. make the play. He had made a similar throw in the first half in the end zone on third down where it was the same crossing route and he missed a guy going over the back. He tried to get it into the middle of the field and it was batted down there again by the same defensive back coming across and knocking it down. It was just a bad read to me. What that signals is <clears throat> one Tyler's trying to use touch more on his throws, especially going across the field, which is was something that we talked about when he was a freshman uh, that he needs to work on because he, he tried to fire a laser every time he threw the ball, wherever he was throwing it. So he's trying to work on touch and he's trying to adapt that a little bit. The other thing it says to me is that he still has a little bit of difficulty reading the full field. So when yeah. he's got crossing routes coming across the field, he's not noticing the other defensive backs coming across or recognizing the coverage where it might be uh, on the opposite side of the field, which when you're throwing crossing routes, you have to be aware of and be quite dangerous. Um, I think overall he looked good. I think the short passing game, that was really a product of what Miami, Ohio came out and did defensively. Right off the bat, Miami, Ohio set up in, in cover three, which is three defensive backs splitting the deep third mm -hmm. and playing off coverage. Have you noticed they were never in Miami's face? Uh, on, on, on the outside in terms of their corners. They were always off at least seven to eight yards. So what Miami did was just basically take those hitches. 
you know, all right, you're going to give us seven to eight yards. We're going to put the ball in these guys' hands, and we're going to let them make plays with it. And they also threw that quick screen to Colby Young that busted quickly. And the reason why it busted quickly was because the corners and defensive backs didn't have enough time to come up and react. It allowed the offensive line and the receivers to get out, get in front of guys, block them, and give Colby Young the room to, to maneuver. And you saw Matt Lee come across and make a nice block, shielding somebody uh, across the field, the defensive back that allowed Colby Young to spring. So to me, I think the short passing game was more of a product of what the defense was giving them and what was available. Because at the end of the day, what you have to remember with the air raid, there goes shot number two. The air raid is predicated upon finding open grass. That's the philosophy. Find open grass and sit in it. Okay? If they're up in your face, you run away from it. If they're off, you find the grass, you sit, you catch the ball, and you make a play. And that's basically what, what Dawson did all night. He just kept taking what they were giving him. Right? Um, as far as, as the running game is concerned, man, if you want to talk about balance, <laughs> this is the, the carry numbers. Henry Parrish Jr., nine carries. Mark Fletcher, nine carries. A.J. Allen, nine carries. Donald Cheney Jr., eight carries. They said it was going to be running back by committee. Everybody got a shot. No false advertising there. Exactly. And I think everybody <laughs> proved that they have a place on, on this team. They have uh, ability, and they each can, can bring something different in the running game. And I think it should continue that way. Obviously, as the season wears on, those numbers aren't going to be as even. But I'd like to see all of these guys get opportunities because they look really good. And to me, uh, you know, the, the offensive line, to me, was a story. It was – not dominant. It was really good. But to me, the, the improvement over last year is the key. And I think the fact that you saw an athletic guy like Matt Lee from center pulling and moving, and Nez Cooper, big guy, pulling and moving, you know, the run game will get better just because it takes time for them to develop and understand, you know, how to work with one another, who they need to block, what their assignments are in this new system. But I think the fact that you saw the athleticism and early on some of the push they were getting gives me encouraging signs of what they're able to do moving forward. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, this is why we have a former Miami High quarterback uh, here to to uh, educate us on the air raid and, and, and all their kind of offensive schemes. He understands football lingo. Well, I, I sat the bench at Miami High. I, I started at Northwest Christian Academy, but that's fine. Either way, I learned a lot. 
I'm just trying to give you the more high-profile high school. People have heard of Miami High. I know, because some people are going to look it up and they say you never played at Miami High or whatever, so I don't, <laughs> don't want to deal with the comments. <laughs> Carlos, um, getting back to uh, the running game and the offensive line, uh, one one thing I noticed is, and, and, and this was talked about in the post game is the fact that they ran a lot of three tight end or two tight end sets where they brought in Matthew McCoy, who's an offensive tackle, put a uh, tight end number 81 jersey on him. Same thing with Samson Okalola. They put a tight end number on him and line them up and let them go attack and, and create holes. And the holes were big. And I think part of the scheme, from what I saw, um, was allowing – the running backs space to make cutbacks and to, and to sort of maneuver and see, find the holes, hit one hard and go. But the holes were large and wide and we didn't see that kind of push. And, and that's a product of Mario's retooling of the offensive line from a talent perspective. They ran a lot behind uh, Cohen um, and Lee, the two veterans that they picked up in the transfer portal. They ran some off tackle to Jalen rivers. You saw, um, I think it was mostly to the left side the majority of the night, but that's where a lot of the help was in terms of the tight ends. McCormick did a good job blocking as well. Um, one notation, Elijah Royal didn't play. Uh, Mario said he's still not, you know, a hundred percent back. I think he tweaked his hamstring in camp is, is what I've heard. Um, and we'll see if he's ready to go next week against Texas A&M. But I think the blocking schemes, my question to you is it worked against a veteran Miami of Ohio defense. It's pretty good. Okay, They're, those guys are going to be pretty good all year, I think. Um, is it going to work against the Clemsons, the Florida States, and the Texas A&Ms next week? That remains to be seen. I think, you know, it's, it's like a preseason game. This is game one. They've, like we said, they've got to get adapted. They've got to get acclimated to the scheme and how they block things and how they work together as a unit. Um, you know, the air raid, their base run plays the inside zone. And you saw that a ton last night. They ran a ton of inside zone. And that's basically the offensive lineman stepping down, finding a guy, bodying up and moving forward. And every time they ran inside zone, they, they generally got between four and five yards, which is a good game on an inside zone play. And they busted a few for even more than that. Um, eventually, what they did was once they started setting that up, they moved on to running power plays outside or trap plays where they're pulling offensive linemen, kicking guys out at the edge and letting the run backs, running backs get outside there. The offensive line doesn't necessarily need to be dominant. In, in, a, in a scheme like this, it doesn't have to be overpowering. It has to be efficient, and it has to be skilled in terms of technique. So what they're doing is basically setting picks for the for the running backs. They mm -hmm. don't have to be mauling people. All they have to do is get a body on a body and take the guy where he goes, where he goes, play judo with the defensive lineman, use his momentum against him, and then the running back can find alleys and make cuts to find the open air mm -hmm. gap. And that's what you saw last night. You know, even though sometimes Miami, Ohio might, might have stalemated Miami, on the offensive line or may have gotten some penetration. So long as the offensive lineman was able to turn his body and give the running back an option of where to cut, they were able to make plays. And that's what it's going to be like. So as long as they're able to really get efficient and effective at doing that, setting those picks, using the defense's momentum against them, being able to stand their ground and not getting bowled over, I think they'll be uh, solid in the run game, but that's going to take time to develop because it's not something that's easy to learn. Um, and, and it takes a lot of technique. It takes a lot of drilling, a lot of work. You know, Matt Lee, I think, this has it down. I think Javion Cohen has it down. I think the rest of the guys need to, to, to fall in line and pick that up. And uh, it, it looked really good last night. My concern moving forward is, you know, can Francis Malagoa handle 
a, a big time pass rusher on the edge because he got right. pulled over a couple times on, on a bull rush. Yeah, got called for holding. He had a couple of false start penalties on an S Cooper. Um, those are things that, you know, I think just your young players, right? You, you, they make mistakes every now and then. Those things are going to happen. So um, I think there were four false starts penalties in all. One of them was on the entire offensive line because they didn't move. I think another yeah. one, trying to remember who the who the who else picked up a, a false start. There were three on the linemen. Um, but in the end, look, uh, they did their job. They ran for 250 yards as a team. They threw for 243. Uh, Van Dyke was not sacked. I think the only sack of the game was on uh, Emery Williams uh, late, in, late in the game when he was trying to scramble. He got tackled behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah, only two uh, pressures given up on, on Van Dyke, and they were both Francis Marlowe. Yeah, so um, all in all, I mean, again, this – you can't just say, oh, it's just Miami of Ohio. Like, this defense had nine guys back. They were an older team. They're an experienced team. The Miami of the last couple seasons struggles against my this Miami of Ohio team. The Hurricanes of last year give up 22 points, as I predicted. I said 37-22 would be the final. Miami wouldn't cover the spread. Well, guess what? They played defense, and they scored 38 points. So they played hey, man, really well. I said 38-13. I was close. Okay. You were close too, but even you thought, "Hey, they'll give up a touchdown, right?" Like this yeah. is not going to be uh, a, a, an excellent game on defense. A couple of other quick points. I mentioned Emory Williams just now. It looks like he's going to be the backup quarterback. Mario said it was just for this game that he earned it in practice. Uh, I would love to see Shannon Dawson come up with a package, especially the way you're running the football for Jakari Brown in terms of either an option, running the ball, letting Jakari. You got to get that speed on the he's the third fastest guy on this team and i love emory williams i think he is and i've said we've talked about this repeatedly he's a better fit for the kind of offense that they're running but i think there's still something like there's other layers that you can unleash here as as the season goes on certainly this is just game one and i'd love to see jakari brown with these backs and this offensive line in some of those situations where he can run wildcat or or you know like i said option and that kind of stuff yeah, and I think that's going to come. I think that's going to be available. And I think Shannon Dawson has that in the plans. And I think he's made Jakari Brown aware of that. Because normally if you see a kid who's started a couple games a year before, um, was at the very least number two, essentially entering the uh, the summer, the spring camp and summer camp, and loses that job to somebody else, a freshman that just arrives, a lot of times you'll see now they'll pick him and transfer, even right before mm -hmm. the season. And, you know, to Jakari's credit, he hasn't done that. He's hung on. He's stuck it out. It seems like he's confident enough in his skills that he'll get better to be able to compete for that starting job next year, or at the very least, he knows there's a role for him on this team. And he's self-aware enough to know that, hey, you know, just a year ago, I was deep on the depth chart, and look what ended up happening. Anything can happen. So I'm always ready and ready to go and believe in myself enough that I can make those plays when, when called upon. But I think you're right. I think with his athleticism, with his ability to both run and throw, it adds a different dimension within the goal line package, especially. I think within the red zone, that could add something. Um, or even in the open field. So I think there is an opportunity for that. I just don't think they're going to be showing it anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, they may not show it against XAM. They may save it for Florida State, Clemson, ACC play, where they can add that in as, as a wrinkle uh, after all these guys have tape on, on them from early in the season. Yeah. Um, we saw a lot of freshmen play last night. Um, besides Emory Williams, Riley Williams made a nice catch on the sideline, picked up a first down. Obviously, Mark Fletcher had a huge game. Um you know, we saw guys, uh, Ruben Bain was in there. He almost, you know, he almost had the, almost had a half sack there on Jafari Harvey's sack. He was right there to sort of help clean up a little bit at the end of the sack. Uh, 
these guys are going to be felt uh, throughout the season. I think the most important thing, though, and I made this point in another podcast with you previously, they just those guys need to be helpers, not severely counted on. And I think that if, if we're going to measure the success of this team, we're going to look for indicators, signs. I think we want those guys to help, but not carry the load. And Damari Brown didn't start at cornerback, even though the coaching staff seemed to talk him up a ton. Um, I think this is good. You want them to be in 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 helper roles more than anything else the rest of the way. Yeah, and I think when when you want them to start taking the majority of snaps is towards the end of the season because now they're no longer freshmen. Right now they've gone right. through an entire college football season. They've developed mentally and physically and, and understand what college football is all about and have acclimated to the pace, the strength, the speed of how things operate. And uh, they've just matured also as people. And I think that takes a while for them to, to get acclimated. And once that happens, that's when you can start plugging them in and seeing them maybe overtake people for, for additional uh, playing time. But for right now, it's good to see how they've mixed them in. You know, obviously, my goal was the only one that started. Um, and he looked pretty good, uh, other than those couple times where he got bull rushed. And, and, and you know, that's, those are things that are going to happen to a freshman. I don't care how good you are. Yeah, A freshman is going to get bowled over. A freshman is going to get you know penalties. They're going to make mistakes. They they can be a, a a great player, but still take time to ramp up and become who they are eventually, or they're going to be. So I think this is the right way to do it. You know, ease them into it, let them make plays when they have the opportunity, uh, but don't count on them as as your main guys, because you need those those guys to develop a little bit more before uh, you can really count on them. Now I think the one that's on the fast track, obviously, like you said, a, a ton of times, is Mark Fletcher. Uh, he looks like a college football running back. Yeah, and and I think, he, again, he's in a complementary role. He was a third back to get into the game ahead of Donald Chaney. Uh, if you give him, you know, 10 to 15 touches a game, even if he catches a few passes, which we know he can do, you keep him fresh the whole season. He's effective every time he gets in there. You don't see him being sort of slowed and exhausted. So I think the plan is a good plan. Uh, last observation for me, and we'll wrap it up with this. Uh, we'll have another show on Texas A&M later in the week. Um but uh, Colby Young, first quarter, dynamic. He come, he 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 kind of steps out at, at the end of the first quarter. I watched him. I had my binoculars. You know, they're doing my thing all game. Carlos watching the sideline, looking for injuries. He tweaked his foot, blocking. I don't know if it was his calf, his foot, his ankle. I don't know what it was exactly. I just know that he came off and he was sort of limping a little bit, blocking on a wide receiver screen, I think, for Jacoby George at the end of the first quarter. And then he was on the stationary bike most of the second quarter. If you go back and you look at the first half and you say, man, when did Miami's offense struggle? It's when Colby Young was on the field. And I think Tyler, again, did a good job distributing the ball to Xavier. Xavier had a good game. Xavier Strepo, uh, Jacoby George made some plays. But I thought it was obvious when Colby Young wasn't on the field that their offense wasn't as explosive. Uh, you didn't see things open up necessarily as much for the receivers. And I think you know, we talk about who's the number one guy at receiver, right? Do they have a guy? That touchdown run on the 44-yard play, the broken tackle on another play that he made where he where he caught it in space, made a move. We didn't see a lot of that from other guys. He makes he makes guys miss. And I think maybe he's sort of trending towards that number one guy. What's your opinion on that? I don't think we've seen um a receiver that can do stuff like that uh in a long time, maybe since Ahmad. Uh, God, I forgot his last Amon name. Amon Richards. Amon Richards. Yeah. I think we haven't seen a guy like that in a while since him. You know, I think we we, we saw a little bit of that with, with Rambo 
Not mm-hmm. so much with the catch the ball, make plays after the catch. He was a deep threat. He can go and get the ball. He could get behind defenses. But he was uh, kind of a slight guy. He wasn't the kind of guy that will make plays, break tackles, uh, and, and take a short gain into a big game like Amon Richards used to. Amon right. Richards was fast. He was strong. He was shifty. And he had that prototypical UM, uh, you know, just basic ingredient they used to see in, in all the big-time receivers here that could turn a hitch, a slant, a quick pass into an 80-yard touchdown. And we haven't seen that here in a long time. And I'm glad to see it from Colby Young. You know, we saw those flashes last year, him on deep routes. But yeah. now it seems like he's evolved more as a receiver. He looks a little bit stronger now. He looks leaner. Um, and just you saw that strength, like you said, breaking tackles, making those catches underneath and, and making plays out of it. And that's what Miami needs. It needs guys to take a five-yard game and turn it into a 15, 20-yard game or a 60, 70-yard game. That's mm-hmm. what Miami football used to be a receiver. Um, you know, Jacoby George got a bunch of balls thrown at him. He did a good job. But on occasion, you saw him one play. Uh, they threw a quick pass to him, and he was kind of lazy getting to the ball and allowed the DB to come up and make the tackle and for- basically force him out of bounds yeah. 15 yards away from where he had caught the ball. That's where Jacoby's sort of weakness is. He, he loses focus during games. He doesn't mm-hmm. go he's, – he's not intent. He's not intentionally attacking the ball on every play when he's in there. On, on occasion, he'll just have lapses. Early in the game, you can see he's into it. Then after that, he sort of lapses if he doesn't get the ball all the time. Um, yeah. I think it took Restrepo a little bit to get going for Van Dyke to find him. But once he did, they started reconnecting, and that catch he had on, on the sideline on that great throw by Van Dyke was amazing. You know, the yeah. kid's dependable. He's not a burner. He's not a super fast guy, but he's dependable. You throw him the ball, he's going to catch it. He's going to create – um, you know, he's going to get first downs. That's basically what he does. And and he'll get in the end zone if he's in and around the goal line. Yeah. Carlos, this was fun. I appreciate you doing this Saturday morning, waking up with the Canes and, and talking about a game. Hopefully we can do this every week moving forward. Maybe Listen, not after I, we, can, we can do this moving forward, but I have one demand. All right. We're going to call it cafecito and croquetas with the Canes. And you need to supply me with cafecito and croquetas right. as payments for doing the show. Okay. I, I can do that for you. I can I can send something over. How's that? We, we, can, we can make that work. All right, brother. I appreciate it. Uh, enjoy your Saturday. I will be driving up to Orlando to watch the Seminoles and the LSU Tigers tomorrow night. I got a I got the uh, kickoff uh, game up there Sunday night, uh, and there will be more uh, programming on the Athletic. I'm going to remind the listeners here on uh, on watching us on YouTube uh, that uh, the Athletic has a special right now: a dollar a month for twelve months. I know this kills you every time I bring it up, but it's reality. It's what they're doing. I right hate now. how it always comes, the special after my, my subscription auto renews. Right. Yeah. You, what you need to do is let it run out, cancel it right before, and then sign up again for the dollar. No, what I need to freaking do is uh, cancel completely and just have you email me your stories before you put them online. <laughs> All right. Then I'm going to end up with a, with a, with an email chain because you're going to be not the only person to do it. Hey, and I need a job, man. Come on. If I'm sending you croquetas, how, how do you expect me to pay you? All right. All right. The balance is up. <laughs> all right. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of Wide Right. Make sure you subscribe uh, to The Athletic. Subscribe to this uh, channel, the YouTube channel. And make sure to follow Carlos and his podcast, the MIA All Day Podcast. When are you doing something new? Uh, going to do something uh, this coming week. I'm probably going to do just a quick uh, audio podcast. Again, another quick breakdown of what happened this, this past Saturday in the game. Then, of course, game preview for Texas A&M coming up later in the week. I'm back on YouTube. Uh, I've decided to to grace the world with my face once mm-hmm. again, not only just on your podcast, but right. on my own because you know people have been clamoring for it, man. They've been saying, listen, this guy, he's he's middle aged, he's he's kind of pudgy and he's got a graze in his face, but I like him. <laughs> I think he's something about him. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it reminds me of you know the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man or just a, <laughs> he's creamy on the inside. 
but I like him. All right. Well, I like him. I like having you on the show. Appreciate you coming on and doing this with me. Again, we will see you guys soon. Peace.